All right. Colin, how are you doing today? Good, Harry. How are you doing? I think uh, the dream team is back together. I think we've had a couple of vacations and a couple, uh, maybe you even did an episode without me, but I'm back and I'm excited to chat with Sam today. Yeah. Sam, good to have you. Excited to be here. All right. Well, we'll give you a bio, but I also, this is your first podcast. I feel like we're extra special because we get to have (laughs) you on for your first one. Um, I'm excited about it. I'll try not to uh, stumble too much. No, just just be yourself and uh, it'll all be good. I'm sure Harry's got like a bunch of advice. He's the podcast guy um, now. Well, if Sam's (laughs) doing a bad job, I'll probably just start cutting in more and more and be like, all right, next topic, (laughs) Sam, let's go. Move it along. There we go. I appreciate that. uh, All right. Well, Sam, let me uh, introduce you to uh, the fine folks that listen to Wannabe Angels. Um, Sam is a seasoned professional in the startup and venture capital scene. He uh, currently taking some time off to uh, explore and actively invest, uh, something I can relate with. Uh, but most recently, he built and ran the OnDeck Angels program that was part of OnDeck's uh, fund team, uh, where he also helped to develop the capital network strategy. So it sounds like you know what you're doing on the investing side. Uh, but uh, also in the past, you uh, co-founded WorkStreamer, which is a B2B sales intelligence platform. Um, that got venture backing, but also sold to a PE firm in 2010. You also co-founded Heights Media, an ad tech platform, uh, providing liquidity to different ad exchange partners. Um, and you've also been an EIR at uh, Primary Ventures in New York um, and served as an operating partner at a family office uh, with a portfolio of SaaS companies. Um, so some cool things to dig into there. I don't think we've had an EIR yet. We've had a operating partner, I think, and a scout. So we may have to ask you about what an EIR actually does, uh, other sure. than a cool acronym. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, uh, so Sam, we uh, we met through, um, I think, a common investment for all three of us that Harry introduced me to, a company called Paxsmith. Um, but it sounds like you were earlier than us. So you were uh, earlier to the game. Is that right? Uh, in meeting Ben? A little bit, yeah. So when... Yeah, so that kind of dates back to when I was at EIR for uh, Primary Venture Partners. I got to know one of the co-founders, Simon. He was kind of transitioning out of Uber. And, you know, we had spent a bunch of time just talking through some ideas and incubation stuff. Um, And he, you know, was just one of these, you know, folks who I find to be, you know, super fascinating, a formidable, you know, technical talent. And so we kind of kept in touch. Um, and a little bit later on deck ended up starting a, uh, accelerator program called ODX and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll touch on that later, but they were one of the, uh, first companies to enter into that program. And I kind of, you know, played a small role in, in helping them get in there and, and making a small investment alongside that. Nice. Very, yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Well, uh, Harry, you want to, you want to jump into some of the, the questions? Yeah, sure. Let's, uh, well, I want to start with your your on-deck uh, experience. But before we get there, let's uh, ha- help the audience get to know you a little bit better on the angel investment side. So I've got a few of our standard rapid fire questions here. So number one, uh, how many angel investments have you made? I've done about 40 in, in total so far. Wow, cool. And how many have you made this year or do you plan to make? Yeah, so I've done two so far um, and you know, probably something like five to 10 for the year. Okay, cool. And what's your average check size? Average check size is about 10K. I've done a little bit higher at times, but have tried to be pretty consistent around 10. Cool. And last one, what type of startups do you look for and what stage? Yeah. So my focus tends to be sort of pre-seed seed. You know, I really enjoy being sort of first money into a round. 
um, you know, have a software focus, tend toward B2B, um, but, you know, definitely a little bit more driven by people. So, you know, kind of, as I was saying with Simon, you know, kind of mm-hmm. looking for formidable founders, you know, people with sort of a, an earned secret, um, yeah. you know, half the team usually being technical. Um, I love when, you know, you can really tell that the founder is obsessed with, with the customer and the problem. Um, you know, look for signs of sort of market pull or, or some traction, you know, some sign, even if it's really early, that there's some customers out there that are sort of yeah. desperate for, for this solution. And then, you know, I'd say I also tend to really look for kind of one exceptional thing that really stands out. And by exceptional, I mean, you know, some aspect of maybe the founder or the team or the design that kind of puts mm-hmm. that particular deal in sort of like the top 10% of, of other deals that, that I've seen. I, I really find that that helps me kind of get to a, a hell yeah, uh, yeah. With, with my investments. <laughs> I like that. Hell yeah, that's a good uh, response to any uh, investment. So let's talk a little bit about your journey, Sam. Uh, did you start angel investing and then go into the OnDeck and sort of build the OnDeck angel program? Or how did that work timeline-wise? Yeah, I did. So, you know, as, as you guys kind of covered earlier, I, I started as a founder, um, mm-hmm. had raised some some venture money from Austin Ventures, who's not quite as uh, active anymore. Um, if at all, but, you know, had a, a kind of the ups and downs, right, of the entrepreneurial journey there, mm-hmm. and then ended up bootstrapping a company that I ran for eight years in, in the tech space called Bits Media. And that really sort of afforded me um, the opportunity to sort of start I- investing. And so I was kind of the classic sort of operator uh, investor. Um, oh. And then while I was doing the EIR role at Primary Ventures, uh, venture partners, I was kind of helping them build out uh, kind of more of a local uh, New York uh, angel scene. And kind of through that, got introduced to the folks at OnDeck and ended up joining to build the OnDeck Angel uh, program, ODA. Very cool. So how does the uh, ODA program work or what's the high level pitch? Yeah, so the ODA program um, really was structured to be what we called sort of the community for the world's most helpful angel investors. And we were pretty um, intentional with the word helpful. So to me, if an angel is helpful, it means that they're not sort of the angel that's just looking to, you know, maybe invest through an SPV and, and be pretty expensive, mm-hmm. but somebody who really wants to be you know, in the trenches with the fund. And so most of the folks who were joining the ODA program were, you know, sort of your, your classic operator angel, right? People who sort of lived and breathed startups already had made a few investments, um, and we're really looking to sort of build a track record, kind of hone the craft of angel investing, accelerate their pace of investing, right? And we really tried to provide sort of the, a platform for, you know, community education and, and deal flow. Um, and so folks were, you know, joining for a, a wide variety of, of, of reasons, ultimately. But I think sort of the, the gap that we filled in, in the marketplace was really not being, you know, focused on people going from zero to one so much as people who had already done some investing, but, you know, mm-hmm. were really sort of looking to, you know, professionalize, um, so mm-hmm. to speak. So in some sense, it was you guys were like kind of catalyzing deal flow for them, like more consistently. And then... It, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that we did, I think, really well was had a very active mastermind program. You know, so I think when you're an angel, um, you know, sometimes you can be doing it in in a silo. Um, but I think angel investing, you know, really is is the most fun when it's kind of social and, and done collaboratively. And so I think a lot of people uh, were joining for that kind of collaborative nature of, of social due diligence, pure accountability, um, right, and just kind of collectively leveling each other up. And did you, yeah. so would you, you guys uh, just, oh, sorry. 
Go for it, Colin. I, I was going to ask, so were you guys allowing people just to invest individually in companies or in like, were you syndicating deal? Like how did that work? Yeah. So yeah, great question. So the way that um, on deck angels worked, which is, you know, maybe a little bit different from your, your traditional angel group was that everybody made, um, you know, investment decisions independently. Um, but you know, I, I, there definitely was a lot of deal flow that would come through the on deck network, right. On deck, um, you know, we can kind of talk about, but, you know, has been a few different things, but, you know, has always had sort of a, an accelerator component, a community component of founders. Um, and so, yeah, there have been some really awesome, you know, companies that have come up through there and the on deck angel folks always got sort of a, an early look at those, um, yeah, hopefully. Does that answer the question? Or? Yeah, no, you, you got it. Okay. Yeah. So what uh, sort of, you've obviously done a lot in, you know, building up this on deck uh, angel program and done quite a bit yourself. What, what do you think like excites you the most or what, what makes you so passionate about, I guess, not only the angel investing side, but also the education and sort of fostering this community? Yeah, there, there's a lot to uh, unpack there. So <laughs> You know, I'd say in general, one of the things that I've really come to believe is that angel investing is sort of a, a force for good. So OnDeck had this slogan that I really loved that was, um, you know, startups save the world. And that's something I really believe. You know, I think tech and innovation um, is really the way to solve a lot of the, the biggest challenges that we face. Um, you know, I, I've heard a few people say sort of like each investment is like a vote for the future that you want to see. Right. And that really, you know, resonates with me. I think, you know, the support that angels give, whether it's, you know, capital or encouragement, um, you know, really allow founders who, who are the heroes, but really do enable these founders to kind of like take bigger swings and take more risk. Um, you know, so so that's one thing. Another thing is that, you know, I really came to learn that, um, you know, I think angel investing provides a lot of people, myself included. Um, with a sense of purpose, you know, I think you get to play a small role, right, in, in helping these sort of like heroic founders tackle hard problems. Um, but you can also, you know, build your reputation, you build your mm -hmm. track record. Um, it's social, right? There's a huge like friendship component to it. Um, you know, it allows you to sort of pay things forward and sort of mentor the next generation of founders um, and, and promotes kind of curiosity, right, and, and lifelong learning. So there's a lot to be, be passionate about there. Um, on the education side, though, I think, you know, angel investing has, has changed a lot since I, you know, first started angel investing probably, you know, seven years or so ago. Hmm. Um, and I think education has become more important because of it. So, you know, I think overall, angel investing has become, you know, much more accessible. Um, but it's also become a real status symbol, right? And because of that, I think more people are interested in it, more people are doing it, you know, platforms like AngelList and crowdfunding, SPVs. Have provided massive tailwinds. They've really sort of unlocked access to a lot of, uh, a, you know, a, a lot more opportunity there. Um, but you know, I think success in, in venture is is super hard without education and strategy. Yeah. Um, you know, I myself started kind of investing, and and I think that that's the way that a lot of angels kind of start. You know, my first check was into a friend's company who I was kind of like squatting office space with in in New York City and. I was lucky that that company and, and the next couple like ended up, you know, having some momentum and, and doing well. Um, but, you know, without a plan, I think most people just aren't positioned to, to be successful. 
Um, yeah. And so, yeah, happy to talk more about that. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. You've been doing it for seven years. You mentioned a couple of the biggest changes. You know, it's easier. It definitely seems like it's more of a status symbol now. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast because everyone wants to be an angel. If you could sort of do it all over again, um, what would be one thing that you might do differently or change uh, in your angel investing journey? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I probably from the get-go would have tried to be more social in, in my approach to angel investing. So, um, you know, on deck used to talk a lot about the idea of sort of network driven investing. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that's a phrase that gets kind of thrown out a lot um, yeah. in, in the venture world, but I think it really is, is important. Um, you know, it's like the, I believe the Kauffman foundation has done some really interesting research um, where, you know, the, the quality of your network really determines a lot of your success in, in sort of venture and, you know, as, as an angel. Um, and so I think from the get-go, I would have really tried to be, one, you know, really develop my process a little bit more. I would have tried to be more rigorous about, you know, maybe just writing a one-page memo and, and really trying to hold myself a little bit more accountable around the decision-making. Um, mm -hmm. And then two, try to be a little bit more social um, and try to have more sort of, you know, peer accountability and find friends to kind of debate ideas with and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, even back seven years ago, there just weren't nearly as many uh, folks who were interested in angel investing as, as there are now. So for me, starting out, it was a little bit more of a, a solo thing. Nice. Um, I I can relate on that. The it feels like the more people I talk to and like get feedback on things, the sharper my like either conviction or lack thereof becomes uh, with investing. And yeah. uh, it, I think it was funny is I think Harry and I trade back and forth a lot of things that we look at. And I think we have very different views on what's investable. And you know, like you can view that as a negative, right? You can be like, oh, this person is not like it's a negative, right? Or like, it's not good that they don't like it. Or you can kind of view them as your foil, like they're the opposite way of thinking about something. And I, I when I had that mindset, uh, that mindset shift to saying, okay, everyone is not either good or bad, like uh, opinion on it or thoughts on it, but rather they're giving me a different way to think about the problem and why it would maybe be successful or not. It really helped me to become more like confident in investing. And I, and I do feel like that's like part of the network is not just deal flow, but it's also how do you leverage it to learn? Uh, I don't know. Is that something you've experienced? Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's exactly right. You know, I, I've heard, um, you know, much better, you know, more successful venture investors than myself say that, you know, some of the best deals were were definitely non-consensus, right, in, in partner meetings. And I think it's really helpful to have somebody, you know, who's, got a different perspective on a particular deal and kind of challenges you a little bit, right? I think that's where you really grow as an investor, um, being able to sort of articulate, you know, why you believe in in that upside or, you know, you kind of see some some possibility where somebody else thinks the probability is not high or, or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that kind of like first principles thinking is, is super important. Yeah, the um, I have one question, but one more thought on that was that I was talking to a VC yesterday and they were interested in some of the early stage marketplace deals I see. And I was kind of telling them some of the ones I invested in, but that other, you know, name investors had passed on. And I was starting to feel a little bit like, oh, maybe like that doesn't look good on me. But I was like, but I actually really believe in what these companies are doing. And I've dug in with their numbers. And it was just like an interesting moment where I was like, I don't know that you, you have conviction or you don't. And right, just because someone else doesn't do something doesn't necessarily mean it's right or wrong. Anyway, and so I've been uh, yeah. I've been chewing on that for a minute. 
Um, so questions for you. Uh, so EIR, I, I think it stands for entrepreneur in residence. Uh, what, it does. what does that entail? Like, does that like a, a dream job for a former founder is like, what, how does it play in the, the venture world? Yeah. I think the reality is that it's, it's very different depending on, you know, where you are. Um, but, you know, usually means that, you know, you're, you know, probably being, being compensated. Um, you're, you're generally sitting, you know, with, you know, at the fund, helping them sort of like look at deal flow. So often there's like kind of a sourcing component. Often an EIR will have some area of expertise or some vertical that, you know, they, they know really well and that the fund's interested in. And ultimately, I think the goal for, for most EIRs is to, to start a business that kind of gets incubated at the fund. And that can look a lot of, you know, different ways, right? Some funds kind of run more of a traditional accelerator program. Others might just want kind of like, you know, the right for first investment, something like that. Um, but, you know, usually it's kind of a, a bit of a dual role where I think the person is, you know, both focused on trying to start a new company um, and, you know, the venture fund ideally is, is kind of playing a role in helping shepherd that. But, you know, at the end of the day, anyone, you know, I'm sure all, all I think we've all been, been founders, right? There's only so much, you know, an external party can really do to help you on that, on that journey. Um, and then usually you're, you know, also, you know, doing some sourcing or, or some other work kind of sometimes also working as maybe an operating partner, um, you know, helping with recruitment or talent or something like that. Yeah. So you've had a few different roles on the investment side, uh, you know, as an EIR, as a founder even, and, you know, supporting mm-hmm. angels and educating them. And now sounds like transitioning more into actual, you know, sort of full-time or at least your f- main focus being angel investing. What have you enjoyed the most and why? If you had to pick one, put you on the spot. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I, I loved about the role at On Deck and, you know, some of the other roles that I've had is that kind of straddle the line of both operating and investing. Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of hard to pick pick one, right? But I think at different points in your life, you know, different roles are, are kind of a, a better situation for, for one reason or another. Um, and, you know, more recently, I think, you know, I've tried to, you know, spend some time kind of thinking through new ideas to start and that sort of thing. And for whatever reason, I, I just don't think I'm in that uh, mindset at the moment. Um, but, you know, one of, one of the things that, I like to say as an angel investor, you know, one of the other side benefits, right, is you get to be sort of like a, a shadow co-founder of, yeah. of other companies. And, you know, again, uh, I'm the type of person who, you know, when I make an investment, I, I really like to get to know the founder. I like to be involved um, and just in some small way feel like, um, you know, part of that, you know, person's journey. So, you know, I, I feel like through investing, uh, I'm still being able to, you know, kind of participate in some of the fun of, uh, you know, operating as well. Yeah. And I think for me, I know one of the things I like most about angel investing is that you don't have to make it your full time. You don't even have to really spend a lot of time in some ways, you know, like a lot of the deals that I actually do, uh, you know, I don't really take a cold pitch. It's like, oh, I meet them at this event for my other part of my business or, you know, kind of doing some other deal. And, you know, I sort of like to think about it like high leverage in that way. And obviously we've had a lot of, you know, founder, operator, investor types on. And so it seems to be, a, you know, kind of one of the uh, benefits there. So I think that's definitely, um, you know, kind of cool and makes it fun, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things about angel investing that I think is great is that there are a lot of different ways to win and kind of comes back to a point that I used to make a lot to folks on deck, which is that, you know, you you know, there there are structural issues in in the venture space, right? And if you're coming at something from, you know, purely sort of a, 
you know, ego driven thing, like you're looking for the status or, you know, you're just looking at financial returns, then, you know, the outcomes are, are pretty binary and, you know, it, it's pretty hard. I think Andy Duke, the, the famous poker player and author, you know, talks a lot about this concept of, of base rates, which are sort of these like unbiased probabilities. And, you know, the base rate in angel investing is that most people are probably going to lose money. Um, and so I think really getting down to sort of your, your motivations and kind of like reasons why you want to invest, um, you know, can, can be really helpful because, yeah, there, there really are many ways to win um, outside of just financial returns, right? You get to build a lot of relationships. You can sort of create career optionality for yourself as you, as you build a track record. Um, you build your reputation with founders, right? Build a great network. Um, so, you know, I think about, you know, if, if you can step back and sort of at the, you know, kind of early on start to think about those motivations, I find that, you know, those are often the angels who actually end up having the most success, you know, kind of the, the like score takes care of itself type thing. Uh, so some questions on your angel investing strategy, you know, given that you educated a bunch of people on it, I, one of the common threads that we hear through many of our interviews is that, you know, people, if they would go back, they would change essentially their bet sizing. They would probably do smaller checks up front and they would do less lumpy, less big ones. Uh, it's almost universal. Like the first check was like too big uh, for a lot of people. What, yep. you know, how would, how do you think about that? You know, what did you, what did you guys teach people? Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think there are a lot of different ways um, to sort of skin a cat, right? And, and there's no one right approach to angel investing. So I wouldn't say that the education aspect of what we did was necessarily about here is the way to, you know, approach evaluate. We tended to, you know, share lots of different frameworks or approaches that might be better for some people, might be worse for others. Um, and one of the things I liked to talk a lot about was the idea of portfolio construction for angels. So it gets talked a lot about, um, you know, for VCs, but less often um, in, in angel investing. But, you know, obviously, you know, I think the, the more shots on goal you have to, to hit an outlier is important, right? And so, you know, again, this goes back to the idea of implementing process and strategy early on um, in education is, is a key part of that. Um, but yeah, you know, the more diversified your portfolio is, the the higher your, you know, likelihood for for success. Um, you know, so I think that was one of the, the key sort of like insights, um, you know, not revolutionary, but, you know, super important, I think, for a lot of angels to understand. And then, you know, also, you know, just the importance that your overall goal, I think, ultimately is to sort of be sought after by founders. And so that means you really need to kind of build a, a, what I call the platform, right? You need to think about, you know, your own brand, your value add. Um, and ultimately, you know, I think it, when people are getting into angel investing, you know, one of the more non-obvious things, I guess, is the role of like adverse selection, right? It's, um, you know, angels aren't always seeing the best deals. And so how do you see the best deals? Well, you've got to kind of, you know, get positioned as, as best as you can, right? And that improve, means like improving, you know, your network quality, improving your access, you know, improving your platform, um, being differentiated in the market, right? All these, you know, kind of things. So I would say that was really more of the sort of educational angle that, that we sort of took to, um, you know, teaching angel investing as opposed to like any one specific uh, framework. Got it. That makes sense. The... Uh the you know did you guys like 
pitch like going into like specific area of expertise. Harry always talks about being the guy for something. And is, is that something yeah. that you've experienced through your career? Like, are you uh, a guy for something? Uh, like, are you the the, the on deck angel guy or I, I, what, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say if anything, you know, I, I think I've tried to brand myself a little bit around sort of my angel network and, and connections, you know, definitely a lot of my deal flow comes from other investors as well as founders. Um, and I think one of the things that I bring to the table for founders um, is that, you know, really large network and largely a network of folks who have been former founders, operators, right? So, you know, if a founder comes to me looking for expertise in some area or some sort of technical help, um, you, know, and, you know, have the network to be able to quickly triangulate and get them a conversation with, with the right person. Um, but yeah, you know, I'd say my own investing is, is fairly generalist, although, you know, kind of skews toward, you know, sort of B2B, you know, so do a lot of like fintech marketplaces, dev tools. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, specifically the guy for, for any one thing. But I think if you can do that and it's like true to your brand, then, you know, that's a, it's a great place to be because you can become, you know, very well known, especially if you're, you know, good on, on social media or that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's a very easy way to, to sort of stand out and be branded. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I guess speaking of social media, we, uh, we've got a section here <laughs> where we call trending Twitter threads and we want to get your take. I was looking, right, I don't it. know how active you are on Twitter, Sam, but, uh, there's a lot going on in the investor community these days, as you might imagine. So we're going to get your hot take if that sounds good. Let's do it. All right. Now, Colin hasn't even seen uh, these tweets for today. So I, I picked them. So I'm going to share it on screen right now for those who are watching live. And then uh, we'll go ahead and read them off too. So hopefully this will load up here in a second. But uh, this first tweet is from Vili. He's a venture capitalist at Two Sigma VC. He says, I just saw the, ca the cap table of a good seed startup and the incubation studio owns about 45% of the common while the founders own 28% uh, before safes, which makes me think how broken is the incubation model. Yes, it works once every 10 years, but this is not a good way to build startups. So Sam, what do you think? I know on deck, I think they've got an accelerator, which is a little different from incubator, but uh, what do you think about uh, these alternative models out there? Yeah, it's, it's a good hot take. Um, yeah, I, I think there are a lot of, I, I don't know what specific, you know, incubator he's referring to, but, you know, I, I do think some are, you know, borderline predatory. But mm. at the same time, I, I do think that a lot of incubators do add a ton of value that's not the same as what, say, an accelerator is, is you know, bringing to the table, which is, you know, typically some expertise. But, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times these incubators are actually providing the team or building a lot of the product. Um, so, you know, kind of a case by case basis. But um, yeah, that's a good take. Do you is, recommend the, that founders go a certain path, whether it's, you know, like incubator or studio or accelerator or, you know, just kind of try to raise money on your own? Or how do you think about like the different paths for founders? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is, you know, kind of dependent on on the person, right? I mean, I mm -hmm. think if you're somebody who's a little bit more, you know, at on deck, we used to use the word legible quite a bit. But, you know, if you're somebody who's got a network, you know, has got some some real skills and can build a prototype and, you know, get some early traction, then I think almost always you're probably better served just going to, you know, angels and kind of taking a more traditional path. Um, I do think, you know, accelerators um, can be super helpful for first time founders um, and, and folks who, you know, kind of like lack that network or lack that sort of one on one. 
um, yeah. in, in a lot of the, you know, kind of classic entrepreneur, um, you know, educational categories. Um, so I, I think those can, those can be great. Um, and then incubators, you know, I'm a little bit less familiar with, um, but, you know, for the right person, right. Who's looking to go into a situation where they can be entrepreneurial plus maybe have a salary because a lot of these incubators are also paying kind of like a, a market rate or close to market rate salary, then yeah, you know, I don't know for them, that might be uh, the right decision, but it's usually not the type of, you know, founder opportunity that, that I'm interested in personally. Yeah. I think I have some hot takes here as well. <laughs> I, I think part of it is, you know, there's the predatory part, right? Which I actually don't view as much of a problem because if these, if there is the value add such that it's worth that amount of the equity, I see no issue with that. Right. If there's money and capital, like, you know, human capital put into it, then yeah, maybe that is worth that percentage. I don't know what that number is, but it's worth something. But the, the thing that I struggle with, with, um, accelerators, incubators, studios, just generally, which I haven't parsed Mm -hmm. myself to get the full thought is the adverse selection piece of it. Like the people Mm -hmm. that end up selecting to go to these things like may have the potential when they're trained up, right? But they also are kind of self-saying, I don't know what I don't know enough to do what I want to do. And I think that's the thing that concerns me is they may have conviction and passion and all those things, but they may not have the wherewithal. That being said, I've kind of, I've worked with a bunch of people that have done both and I've seen success on all different flavors. And I don't think it's, I, I can't pass judgment on it. I think you just have to look case by case basis. Um, I think uh, Mike Wilner, who we both know, they they've done, um, you know, uh, what they've done their venture studio, which I think is just a bunch of great smart people together building ideas, which makes a lot of sense to me. Like that, I am, mm-hmm. like, of course, like yeah, like why don't we get all the gang back together that knows how to do this really well and do more ideas than other people can do that makes a lot of sense to me and then in that case the venture studio owns a big chunk of the company that makes sense because like that that makes sense so yeah. i don't know I, it's just maybe out the bathwater a bit in my my feeling with uh, some of these takes <clears throat> yeah I, I agree with you i think the one other point though on on the accelerators is that you know as a positive i do think they've kind of you know democratized access to to venture mm. a little bit right i think there are a lot of international founders um, you know, who probably would have been just passed over by most, you know, U.S. angel investors or, or VCs that have been able to get a start in, in some of these accelerator programs, right? And, you know, kind of, um, you know, talents everywhere these days, right? But yeah. I think like capital is, is not necessarily. So I think they've, they've played a, a good role for, for the ecosystem yeah. from, from that lens. Definitely. Yeah, it is cool to see how many different paths there are and obviously even, you know, all the different roles. And, you know, we talked about the uh, status symbol uh, for an angel investor. And so this next uh, tweet, I think, kind of lines up with that. And so I'll share it here on the screen and uh, read it. It's from Matt Turk, who's a VC at First Mark Cap. And this was a big, uh, this tweet got a lot of uh, action this week. So it'll pop up on the screen here. And it's about, uh, you know, kind of more broadly VC and status symbol. But it's he says, real talk about VC 
lifestyle for a second. Uh, number one, 100 to 200 people in the industry make the big bucks, you know, $4 signs, $5 signs, and have that Aspen St. Tropez lifestyle on Instagram. Number two, though, fuck it, thousands of people make the same amounts of cash they would working at, say, a bank. You know, it's probably a pretty good salary. And then bucket number three for VC lifestyle is maybe 10,000, question mark, you know, broad swaths, uh, make much less, you know, small funds, solo GP, juniors, CVC. I don't even know what a CVC is, but, you know, that type of a lower role, I guess. Um, yeah. So what do you corporate think, venture, Sam? Yeah. What a uh, corporate venture. There we go. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I tend to agree with him. You know, I haven't been a, uh, you know, a full-time VC, but I think in some ways it's, it's a relatively, you know, privileged role, but, mm -hmm. you know, it, it on deck angels, right. I spent a lot of time working with emerging managers in our group who were kind of raising solo funds, yeah. um, you know, small funds and, the struggle's real there, you know? I mean, these are people who generally are doing this out of a real sense of, of passion um, and sort of like love of the game of being involved with with early stage companies. Um, so yeah, I mean, that point number three definitely resonates. I, I think there are a lot of people who are not making a lot doing it, um, but, you know, just, just love it. What do you think is the uh, motivation that you see most people getting into angel investing? Because, and even, you know, investing more broadly, I actually don't feel like many people get into it because they're like, oh, this is a great way to make money or I'm going to get rich off of this. I think most people are pretty realistic. Like they understand, hey, angel investing, you know, you're probably going to lose money. Um, what motivations do you see and what do you kind of uh, recommend, like why people get into this? Yeah, I, I think it's um, it, it, there are a combination of, of reasons, right? I mean, I, I do think actually there are a fair number of people who get interested in it from the aspect of the potential for asymmetric returns, right? It's like mm -hmm. you you read about folks in you know early on in in Uber who invested you know five thousand dollars and turned it into twenty five million or whatnot. Um, but you know, most of the angels that I know, um, you know, are these sort of classic operator angels, you know, people who you know, have been in the startup space for a long time. They're sort of comfortable in, in that sort of environment, investing mm -hmm. in that, you know, those types of, you know, riskier opportunities. Um, and a lot of it, you know, kind of harkens back to what I was saying earlier, where, you know, I think there's an element for a lot of people about, you know, it's sort of sparking a, a curiosity, um, you know, kind of like lifelong learning, um, getting yeah. to kind of have a sense of purpose um, in, in deriving, you know, some joy just from being able to support these people who are, you know, out there trying to change the world. Well, well maybe you're, you know, in an engineering role at, at Google, which, you know, is just a, it's, it's just a different thing. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I think like most of the, the great investors that, that I've seen, most of my friends, I agree with you, I think are getting into angel investing more for sort of like the right reasons. And again, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people start ad hoc, right. And it might just be supporting a friend. Um, but you know, I, I think, um, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of stop there, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I think there's a sense now that like getting into VC is kind of what investment banking was like in the, the 2000, early two thousands. So I feel like people coming out of Ivy league schools, they're vying for those positions. So I think that's part of like what the sentiment is about is like, <clears throat> is it really as great as you think it is? Right. Or, or is it just the, the few, uh, figureheads on Twitter? Uh, living it up that make it seem better than it is. But the solo GP yeah. life, I mean, just having looked at, you know, just the economics, right? Is that your first fund is, I mean, that's uh, that's ramen, ramen salaries <laughs> uh, for that, right? And 
but I think it's all about getting your track record right. And it's the second, third mm-hmm. fund. I think that's the consensus. And I think a lot of the comments there were like, well, yeah, you start making money uh, once you, one, realize some carry, but two, also raise larger funds, usually in your second and third. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, it's kind of like power laws within power laws, right? I mean, a lot of these small, you know, solo GPs end up raising a first fund and then don't, or, you know, my guess is will not end up raising a, a second or third. And so you kind of hear about the people who are able to scale up the funds, but I don't think that's, you know, always the, always the case. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Sam, we really appreciate you coming on. If folks want to uh, learn a little bit more about what you're up to, where should they follow you on social? How should they reach out? And if you want to give a, a quick uh, um, a website or anything for On Deck uh, Angels too, we can uh, share all those links in the show notes. Yeah. So, you know, I can be reached. Um, I, I am on Twitter, more of a lurker, but, you know, Sam, uh, my last name, H-U-L-E-A-T-T. Um, at, on uh, on Twitter, and then I have a, a personal website that's samhuliet.com, uh, and I've actually cool. got quite a bit of, of content there related to angel topics and, and that oh, sort of thing. Awesome, cool. Well, we'll uh, link up to those in the show notes, and uh, appreciate you coming on, Sam. Take care. Yeah, this was great. Appreciate everything you guys are doing for the ecosystem.